And I want to talk to you about pressing on as a good soldier. And uh, becoming a good soldier of Jesus Christ is, uh, is our goal. And um, uh, how to do it is what uh, we're going to try to start this week and hopefully next week uh, talking about becoming a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We're going to end up doing all of, well, just uh, four verses, Second Timothy chapter 2, 1 to 4. But right now, open your Bible, First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12. We'll just stand with me. I really want to do this, and we'll read it out loud together. First Timothy 6 and verse 12. <clears throat> the first six words are the emphasis. Good faith, life, whereunto thou also art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Say those first six words with me again. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, one of the most exciting and uh, sobering truths, you can be seated, for you and I as Christians that we're in a war. It is both exciting and sobering. It is an invisible war. Now, you may know about it. You may be, be excited about it or aware of it, but uh, sometimes we forget about it or we kind of neglect that it is really that serious. This is the war that we're in is an invisible war that is just as serious and just as deadly as any war could ever be, as if there were enemies at the gates of Cork uh, um, surrounding this city and bombing it and, uh, and, and, and attacking indiscriminately its occupants. Now, well, the war that we're talking about is called spiritual warfare. Now, I'd like you to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Go back to the left a few pages, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Because we've got to understand there is more to this world. There's more to us than just flesh and bones. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, at the very end of the chapter there, it says, in the very sanctify you, wash you, prepare you wholly, completely. And I pray God, and then he lists three parts. I pray God your whole spirit and, and preserve blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every human being is more than we usually revert. We usually give it in reverse order. We always say body, soul, and spirit. God starts off with the most important. He says spirit, soul, and body. Let me say, secondly, not every illness or problem that you have is physical. Some of our problems are emotional, the problems in our soul. But there are some problems that are spiritual. I want you to go to the Gospel of Luke now, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 and verse 11. <clears throat> I want you to underline some words there. It doesn't doesn't just say she was sick. This woman, chapter 13, verse 11, Behold, there was a woman which had a, say it with me, spirit of infirmity for how long? That's a long time to not, to not, to not be well, but to not be well because of some demonic spirit. It says she had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together. She was bowed over. She couldn't stand up. And because of pain or whatever, and couldn't in no wise lift up herself. Verse 12. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed now from thine infirmity. 
and he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. Boy, can you imagine how she glorified God to be out of pain, to be free from that. Verse, uh, verse 14. Well, jump down to verse 16 now. Ought not. Now, Jesus is rebuking the men in a synagogue who were upset over the fact that he healed her on the Sabbath. He's like, what in the world? Why would you be upset over me healing this woman? Verse 16. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, she's a Jewish woman, whom Satan hath what? He hath bound. Lo, these 18 years, should not this woman have been loosed from the bond? So can you understand? Her problem was not just physical. Yes, it was, it was definitely, you could see it was physically affecting her. But there was not a physical or an emotional problem. There was a spiritual problem to her life. Drugs, no amount of therapy could cure her. Something had to be worked in her spirit. So let's just settle that this life that we live, if you've ever been by a cemetery, you know this life is brief. This life is short. It is temporary. Uh, the next one, that's the eternal one. That's the one we worry about. So just because your physical and even your emotional life is at peace, you say, I'm doing pretty good. I'm happy. You know, I've got my two holidays back a year. I've got everything going on. Got me a new 2002 car, whatever. Just because your physical and emotional life is at peace does not mean that there's not war going on in your spirit. Let me say that, um, uh, see if this is right. Mm. Let me, uh, uh, most Christians are not aware of spiritual war going on around them. You're in Luke, go to 9, in verse 51. <clears throat> Luke 9, 51. When the time was come that he, Jesus, should be received up onto the cross, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem before his face, ahead of him, and they went to make ready for him. So he says, go find us a place to stay tonight. Can you imagine knocking on uh, the different places, trying to find a place for 13 men? <laughs> verse 52, and he sent messengers before his face, verse, verse 53, sorry, and they did not receive him. Didn't want him there. Why? Because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. He was not going to stay there. He was not going to heal there. He was not going to teach there. He was just barely passing through, verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, now how close are James and John to Jesus? Are they the fringe disciples? Well, these are the close ones. There's Peter, James, and John. You hear them all the time. Peter, James, and John, always close to Jesus. These, would you would say, would be the clem that a clem. These guys are the the best of the best. He's the most spiritual of the apostles, right? But keep going. When his disciples, James and John, saw this attitude, he said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume these Samaritans as Elias did? But he turned and he looked them and said, ye know not what manner of spirit you're. You don't realize not just what your attitude is, not just how you're feeling, I don't know what I did, all right? Um, uh, not just that, um, uh, you know, you're having a bad day, but you don't realize you have a spirit that is now got you wanting to kill somebody. You, you, it's got you wanting to bring down fire on a population. The apostles, these apostles did not know that they were being influenced by a demonic spirit that wanted people dead. There's another truth here, and, and that is that we have been born into a, a war. Can you imagine 
There are a lot of babies growing up. They're called Corona babies these days now because they were born at this time. There were people who were born in the last, you know, World War II, and they were called the Great Generation for a reason. But they were they were born into a war, and a Christian is born into a spiritual war. And what the world? When you see this world going on, going crazy with with famines and disasters and fightings and arguings and wars. Just imagine, I want you to understand, all of that that's going on physically is also going on spiritually. And it's in, it, there is an invisible war going on just as real. Go to Ephesians. You're in Luke. Go to the right. Go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Ephesians 6 and verse 12. There's a great struggle going on right now, and you may not realize it. You may be like the disciples there, but you probably, if you don't sense it as a Christian, you've gone through what's called spiritual fatigue, and you just like, you just don't feel anything anymore. Well, look at uh, Ephesians 6, 12. It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It doesn't say that we don't wrestle. It says we don't wrestle against people, but against principalities. Those are Powers, that's incredibly high powers against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. That's not a world leader. Those are the spirits behind the world leaders against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, have you ever arm wrestled? Now, if I had Isaac over here, Isaac and I would just, come on, Isaac. Oh, no, don't do it. Just I'm just imagining it's you and me. I mean, Isaac probably put up a good fight for about three seconds. But if you've ever arm wrestled, you know when you meet your match, that other person's putting out that effort, and you're putting out the effort, you wear out pretty quick. And uh, now I've watched, like my son Joel, he's taking on people, he's taking off person after person after person. I could probably do two, maybe three, before my arms jello, okay, jelly. But boy, just going out, it wears you out. And when you are wrestling against spiritual enemies, it wears you out just as if you were doing it against physical. So um, let me hold on to that. I'll come to that in a second. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. To the right, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this is where we're going today. 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 1. <clears throat> now, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Verse 3, thou therefore, speaking still to Timothy, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Whether you are ready for it, whether you like it, we're in a war. And we're soldiers in this army. Uh, and as I showed you last month, as I last month, we are well equipped to fight in to what the what the old world was soldier on. We need to see that we're in a war. That this is not this is not a life that we just can. Yeah, and you're not actually winning. Can I tell you something? Jesus already won it. You're just trying to stay 
in it. You're trying to stay the course. You're just, you just, when, when the, when the blows come, when, when the storms come, you just stay standing. So now the second thing I want to say in the introduction is that rarely are Christians ready for this spiritual fight that we're in. We can fight at the drop of a hat physically, but we are wimps when it comes to spiritual fights. We have very little power with God. We get so few prayers answered. We rarely sense the prodding and pulling of the Holy Spirit of God. We only sense our blood boiling. We only sense our own attitudes going crazy. We're wimps in the spiritual fights. We have no joy in the Holy Ghost. We are only hypercritical in our opinions about everything. Have you noticed? I mean, I would have loved that these last three months made it so that people just stopped being critical, but I don't think it's happening. I think people are still very critical. That's not the spirit of Christ. Deep down, we know we're supposed to be on the offensive as Christians. We're supposed to be on the attack. We're the ones that are supposed to be turning the world upside down, not Black Lives Matter. We're the ones Christians actually are supposed to be making a difference in the world for good, not watching the world burn itself down. And yet, it is Christians who fight and bite and devour each other instead of our real enemy. That's what happens in homes. Very few Christians are ready for any kind of spiritual fight. Less and less, I find, are interested in this Bible. You know, 26 years ago when I got here, people talked to me at the doors forever about they'd never read anything in the Bible. They only knew certain passages. Uh, Bible Institute was full. Um, people were hungry to learn the Bible. I'm wondering where that went. Christians are cooling off. Marriages are failing in vast numbers. Young men and women are angrier than ever. And Christians live in defeat to temptations and constant habitual sins. The only sense and see the physical battles going on. <clears throat> and if you're watching the news all the time, it'll just make you really discouraged because you'll only see this world at war instead of the spiritual realm. Let me say what's going on because this will help you. Satan and his enemy, his devils are very powerful. <clears throat> I won't have you go there, but if you know anything about the devil, he used to be known as the most beautiful creature God ever made. I know you think we were. You look in the mirror and you go, made in God's image. But Lucifer was the most beautiful creature that God ever made, and it got to him. His pride, his, his, his own will, he turned against God, and he rebelled against the will and design of God, and God kicked him out of heaven. But don't you think just because he got kicked out of heaven that he is powerless? As a matter of fact, he is the second most powerful being in the universe. He has declared war on God. He hates everything good. He hates everything connected with God. He loves only to deceive and destroy. He counterfeits everything that's good and clean and how come how come the homosexuals had a long and hijacked marriage why didn't they create their own category how come they come along and they take the boy scouts and convert it into queer scouts you know why because they have to counterfeit they have to take what's good and soil it that's how the devil works he is the majority broad is the way that leads to destruction many there be that go in their wrath he has he has got the world's attention. 
He devises countless ways to hinder the work of God. Haven't you noticed how hard it is just to spend time in prayer? Haven't you noticed how it's just Bible through the year? Haven't you hard it found out since how hard it is just to get to church? He devises every possible way to make it impossible for you to do the right things. So what does God ask us to do? He asks us to prepare for war. So let's go back to 2 Timothy, because this is uh, we're in 2 Timothy. Go to chapter 2 there. And, and I want to just look at two verses. And this, this is a rally cry for Christians to become a soldier, to become good soldiers. So here, before I read it, <clears throat> I, want you to, I want you to notice that to be any kind of a soldier, there must be intense preparation. I've never, my dad was in the military. <clears throat> I've known plenty of people who, who've been in the military or maybe are still in the military. But you have to have great respect for people who join the military because it is in no way an easy profession. Uh, if you don't intensely prepare someone for the war that they're getting into, you're just sending them to the slaughter. So think about what it means to prepare somebody to be a soldier, okay? They're not being, pre they're not being prepared to work at Lidl's. All right. They're not being prepared to, you know, cut grass. They're being prepared to do a job well and come home alive. So that means months and months of strenuous exercises at boot camp. It means constantly being yelled at and pushed beyond their limits. There are no big hugs, I guarantee you, in boot camp. There's no kind words. It's rough. It is push. It is hard. Why? trying to prepare you for reality. There are too many churches that bring people in and entertain them. Is that preparing people for war? There are too many churches that don't want to offend anybody. Is that preparing them for war? Why are Christians falling by the wayside? Because churches, pastors, have become so effeminate and worry more about offending, whether it's their people or the media, honestly. I, I, I can't tell you how grieving it is that we worry about what the preacher's going to say. If there's one place where somebody ought to be able to say what needs to be said, it ought to be from a pulpit. Where there's no fear that somebody, they may, they may say things a little bit rough or a little bit not perfect or whatever. But the freedom of speech that you and I enjoy to some degree now came because People realize the freedom that, uh, of, of speaking started with the pulpit. And right now, most churches are terrified of upsetting their people. Most churches are terrified of being written up in the newspaper. We are in a war and we've got to prepare. And got to be prepared the right way. So in the, in the uh, boot camps, they get them up early. They get them up every morning early, getting them into good habits. One of the things they teach you first off is how to make your bed. And that's a good thing because most guys don't know how to make their bed, and that's a shame. They teach you how to take care of your equipment. They teach you all the good habits that maybe your parents didn't. They get you running long distances. They put a full pack of gear on your back weighing 50 pounds, and then you run 14 miles. They develop absolute obedience to their instructors and their instructions. They, get, they learn how to trust each other and to work together as teams. 
against their enemy. Uh, we've been a couple of times paintballing. And when you go paintballing, you kind of go for fun. But there's some, some, some groups that go paintballing and they're serious. And so you're there and you're like, you just want to shoot something, okay? And then six guys stand up and you're gone because they're organized. Because they work together as a team. And they go for a target. And they aim to win. And we don't. We don't care whether we win or lose. We're just up having fun. We're having a picnic. And when we get hit, when we get hurt, we go home and we quit. In the army, they learn the tactics of their enemies. Do you ever read your Bible, not for the blessings only, but to find out that's how the devil works. That's where the devil's been working in me. That's where the devil's been deceiving me. Wow. We worry about propaganda and fake news. Let me tell you, we need to worry about what the devil's deceiving Christians with now. The truth is, if you're ever going to be any kind of soldier, there is intense uh, preparation. And that's the same in Christianity. The Christian life is no picnic. It is a war. If you've ever done discipleship, I have people, and this is what always happens when you start discipleship with somebody. They're all excited. Oh, they get this book and they're opening their Bible. And I tell them from the very start, I says, you understand this is two years of your time. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, about six weeks in, they're going. <gasps> and then about three months later, they're going, uh, can we put this off for a little while? Why? Because they come to find out it's a lot of work. Jesus took three and a half years with his disciples. They nearly lived with him because it takes a lot of time to change and to grow. You know, real preaching sometimes is unpleasant. Real preaching is. Now, I want to be a blessing. I pray, God, make sure I say what you would say if you were here. Sometimes it's going to rub you the wrong way, because that's how it has to be. Have you not found that the Bible sometimes is hard to be understood? It's just, it's God's book. It's not man's book. So you're just reading along and you're going, I'm not getting it. Can you imagine? <clears throat> Uh, it's just learning to trust and obey. I don't fully understand. I have, uh, I have people, you know, some of them, I won't mention their names, who I'll say something that I go, yeah, but pastor, <laughs> yeah, but, and I'm like, I don't have all the answers. I want to try, but sometimes you just have to obey, man, and trust that God's going to be right. Remember, your enemy's a killer. Go to, go to First Peter. You're in Second Timothy. Go to 1 Peter 5 <clears throat> on the other side. While you're turning there, let me quote for you John 10.10. 10. Jesus speaking about Satan. He says, the thief, Satan cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's his only life. That's his only love. That's his only purpose. He wants to steal, rob you, kill you, and destroy everything about you. Jesus says, but I am come that you might have life and that more abundant. Now, 1 Peter 5.8. <clears throat> says be sober, be vigilant. That means be on guard, all eyes open, be like a, like a security guard or a watchman on, a, uh, uh, on duty. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for somebody to devour, and that next person can be you. It can be a pastor. It can be anybody. Don't you think a pastor, he can't get at you. He can get at anybody. Why we've got to be on guard. So I'm going to just talk about two verses this morning and give you some thoughts. To be a good soldier, let me give you the. <clears throat> as it catches up. 
have a son relationship with God. If you get nothing else, start here. Because all the rest of it is not is always to be a yoke on your neck if you don't have a personal relationship with God. Because too many Christians have a superficial Sunday-only relationship with God. Secondly, develop strength in God's grace. Develop strength in His grace. Third thing. I'm not sure why it's not working. There we are. Become a student of the Bible. Don't just, oh, I read my Bible. Amen. But think about it. Write down some things. You don't have to analyze and understand. Boy, something ought to jump out at you and go, wow, that was good. Wow, I, what I need to do. Not what other people need to do, but what I need to do. Become a student of the Bible. For Learn from Finn and invest in faithful men. So let's quickly go through as much of this as we can this morning. First of all, 2 Timothy 2.1, back where we were. <clears throat> he says these words, thou therefore my All right. So now, <clears throat> Timothy is not his actual physical, natural born son. Go to chapter, you're in 2 Timothy, go to 1 Timothy chapter and verse 2. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 2. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 2. Unto Timothy, my own son. What's the next three words? In the faith. So he's talking to somebody that he led to Christ. He says, Timothy, my own son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Timothy, the truth is, he says, uh, in, in 2 Timothy 2.1, he says, Thou therefore my son. Because he's, he's, he's raising him like a son. He's teaching him. Like a father does a son how to be a good soldier. And Timothy had a conversion. He didn't have just a religious experience. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day, and he said out uh, in Patrick Street, he says, I think I'm a Christian. Tony was with me. He says, I think I'm a Christian. But I, 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 I'm looking for an experience. I'm looking. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm waiting for it to feel like I'm a Christian. And I went, wow, wow. You know, if, if you ever get saved... The facts produce feelings. The facts that you are forgiven. The fact is that God loved you as you are. The feelings come afterwards. But if you're waiting for lightning to strike, you're going to die without Christ. You need a conversion experience where you humble yourself. The feeling comes in your humility, not in your weight on God to do something amazing in your life. So Timothy had a conversion. He was born again. He was, he was changed from just a dirty, rotten, filthy, wicked sinner into a believer. He had switched sides. John 1.12 says that as many as received him, received Jesus, to them gave God gave us the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So there was a time where you were on the wrong side of the war and you switched sides. That's called being born again. Now, the point is this. Um, let me say, you cannot keep, you cannot be Christ-like unless you, unless you spend loads of time with him. Because this son relationship is more than just a, a, a church relationship, more than just a formal relationship or a superficial one. Um, uh, have a, a walk with God. I talk, um, basically... You have a relationship that 
that ought to be the center of your life. It ought to be real and fresh. If you wait for Sunday before you pick up your Bible, if you wait for me to motivate you to pray, you're dying. You've got to have that son relationship. If somebody is my friend and we meet each other, we have a great relationship. We have a cup of coffee. We can talk about things going on. But what if you are my son? Boy, it's much closer. Then I, I don't want to go anywhere except with you. You don't want to go anywhere except with me. There's, the, there's that relationship. And when we have that son relationship with the father, that is the foundations for our strength so that we can soldier on. I don't, I, can you imagine hiring people to fight a war? They're called mercenaries. At the first chance, they'll quit if the pay's not enough. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, but a natural born citizen who is defending his home, a natural born citizen who's defending his family, who's defending his borders, that person will live and die in that war. And when you have that relationship with God, that, that new birth, that, that walk and talk with God every day, when the war comes, you want to protect and, and fight and win in that war because you know what the devil means to do in destroying this, this, this relationship that you have with God and the relationship that God wants to have with everybody. So a son relationship with God will be probably the most important part, but not the only part, that makes us good soldiers. Just getting saved is not all you have to do to be a good soldier. It is the beginning of it. Secondly, <clears throat> develop strength in God's grace. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says something unusual. He says, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the, doesn't say power that is in Christ Jesus, but in the what? Say that louder. Grace. Now, this is an awesome truth. We usually want to be strong in God's power, and that's not a bad thing. I'd like to move mountains that are in my way. Amen? I'd like that. I'd like to defeat my enemies. I'd like to win arguments. I want the power. But God knew, and Paul knew, that good soldiers are supposed to be strong in God's grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is the ability to put up with hardships. That's what grace is. Uh, it, it, it means that when I wanted nothing to do with God, when I built up a, a, a record of rebellion against God, God had grace toward me and still wanted me saved. For by grace, listen to the attitude. For by grace are you saved, by kindness are you saved, through faith, not through my works. I didn't make up for all of my sins, but through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, as we should end up boasting, the Bible says. So grace is the ability to put up with a hard person like I am. God puts up with me and wants me, even though I'm a thorn in his side. Psalm 18, hold your place here and go to Psalm 18. <clears throat> Verse 35, Psalm 1835. Psalm 18, verse 35 says this. Psalm 1835, thou, God, hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy, what's the next word? That's the word grace. And thy gentleness 
hath made me great. Now, that's something God does, man. Um, it is a different way um, of thinking and living that defeats the devil at his core. Satan operates. You know where Satan operates? You know where he has his victories? Let me bring this up. There it is. All right. <clears throat> Rather than light, when we have secrets and when we sort of just hide, that's why young people who have such access to such sin in their, on their phones and in their homes and the secrets that they hold on to, what they're doing is they are building up a world where Satan dominates them. And it, it'll, it'll go with them for the rest of their lives unless they get saved and they get cleansed and they get, get things right. He operates in that world of secrets. He operates in the world of all our old memories. You know what? God doesn't have old memories. He forgets things. Amen? Unconfessed sins. If you can't say, I'm sorry, Satan's got you by the throat. And he won't let it go easily. Unforgiveness, the ability not to be able to say, it's okay, paid for, not going to worry about it ever again. He spends his life stirring up wrath and revenge and retaliation. That is where Satan has power. You know where the Holy Spirit has power? When we have praise, when we look at somebody and we say, thank you, when we think of them better than ourselves, where we live by faith, not by sight, where we're at rest instead of in panic, where we know everything's falling apart, but we know more that God's in control, where we're humble, we're in the place of humility. God says he resists the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. Be strong, not, and believe me, it is powerful to have hate, amen? Hate is a powerful force. Bitterness and anger can destroy any marriage, can destroy any relationship. It can just divide a nation. I, a civil war comes America. Bigger. All of that stuff is incredible realms of power for the devil. You know what's more powerful? Those five things. And that's not all there are. But those five things are works of grace. And be strong cause of that. Did you know when you got saved, God had grace with you? Everything from your past, all the bad rap, all of the, uh, the rebellion, all the stupidity, all the care uh, you did or not was you God asked you everything done against you see God turn around and have grace with anybody be strong in the grace you see how it works grace with saving me wanting me I can forgive I can love I can want somebody who just this earlier I 
When you get up every day, go to Lamentations. Hold your place here. Lamentations 3. Now, Lamentations is just after Jeremiah, just before Ezekiel, in those books. But you got to see this verse, Lamentations chapter 3. In the moments that, that God has you, you need to become strong because of his kindness. Lamentations chapter 3, beautiful verses, verse 21. <clears throat> Lamentation 321, it is of out of the Lord's what? Mercies. Another word for kindness. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not burned up. Amen. I wish you believed that. Every one of us ought to be dead and in the grave. Everyone ought to be in hell. One deserve nothing good from God. Consumed. Why? Not because we're good, not because we're doing our best, but because he passions fail not they never fail verse 23 they are If you'll let him. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul, lest I should be exalted, except I should become so proud above measure through the abundance of all the revelations that God was given him. There was a thorn in the flesh. It might have been a person. It might have been a health problem. It says something was given to him, thorn in his, just like if you've ever had a thorn in your foot or something, you can't do things to get it out. It was a thorn given to me in the flesh, and it ended up being the messenger of Satan. Satan was the one that wiggled it and agitated with it, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart. I wanted it gone. <clears throat> and he, Jesus, said unto me, My is sufficient for thee. I'm not going to take it out. I'm not going to get rid of it. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Look at the last. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, therefore, I take pleasure. Now, I don't know, anybody? When you do you take uh, let off from, from a job when, when money's not coming in, do you take pleasure in that? Paul says, if that verse is true, if God's grace is more than I need. Then I, I will, he says, I'll glory in my infirmity. I will rejoice in it. I'll take pleasure in my infirmity, in my reproaches when people make fun of me, in my necessities when I have nothing, in persecutions when being attacked, in distresses, all for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, guess what? 
then am I strong. <clears throat> there is no way I can explain it. There is no way for me to explain to you becoming strong in grace until you experience it yourself. Until you realize God is having so much grace towards you and you start to have that same grace with others, all of a sudden you go, wow. That is where the strength is. I used to have such strength and bitterness. Now I have strength in grace. If you want to be a good soldier, Jesus Christ, develop strength in, your, in God's grace. <clears throat> I'm, uh, uh, at this point, and I'll pick up with it next week, just finishing the grace will be part of making you and I good soldiers in this fight. And skip through the next ones. Talk about becoming a uh, student of the Bible, if this technology will ever work. You'll, you'll learn about some biographies next week. Here's the conclusion. We have a war to fight. We're in a war. It has to be fought. You cannot just sit on the sidelines. I know there are plenty of people right now who are watching me on the internet, and you would love it to continue this way. That's not where the war is fought. That's not where the training is going to be enough. You're going to have to get out of bed, get your bed, get get to church on Sunday mornings, maybe 930. And then every day during the week, pull that Bible out and read it with your cornflakes and write down something that you're learning and then obey it all day long. We have a war to fight. I've got to get new batteries. What do you think? John, you want to hit the right arrow? <laughs> there are things that every one of us must do to soldier on. I'm going to go over this. Hit it for me again. Have that son relationship with God. I, I, I call it that because Paul calls Timothy my son in the faith. He has, he's calling him a very special in term of endearment to realize, you know what? Just a soldier. He starts off as a son of God and, a, and part of the family of God. Second now. You have it? Do you have it? Can you do it? Develop a strength in God's grace is where we're going to finish. Next one. Become a student of the Bible, which we'll talk about next week, and learn of, oh, going too fast. <laughs> learn of faithful men and invest in faithful men. Also, we can remember the last verse. <clears throat> no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. That's a big thing we're going to talk about. That he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. We, we kind of look at the military and we go, ah, oh, that's for you. No, no, no. When God saved us, he chose us all to be soldiers. He equipped us to win. He didn't put us in a place where we're going to die. He put us in a place where you're going to win and you're going to actually enjoy the fight if you will just do it right. Now, I'll just finish with this thought. Get my next one there, John, for me, please. I invite you to examine yourself and see if you are a Christian. You see... A lot of people think, well, I was baptized or I'm a member of some church, but you're not born again. Well, you need to admit to God you're a sinner. You need to admit it to God. You don't have to tell me, oh, I'm a sinner. You can tell me all day long. You'll still go to hell. You need to admit it to God. You need to then decide that you're going to trust Jesus Christ, that he was enough to pay off all your sin debt, and that all you have to do is just ask him and he will save you. The Bible says all is sin and we all come short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death. Then it adds on, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, not through the church, not through some long, lengthy prayer, but by trusting and believing in him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me tell you, 
Uh, the Christian life begins right there, and I hope you have started. If you have, then I want you to man up, soldier up. I want you to prepare that, you know, we're going to finish what, what, what I started. When I got saved, I'm not going to quit. We're going to press on because we're at war. Stand with me. We're going to try. We're going to sing <clears throat> just as I am. shed for me. Think about what Jesus had to go through in that spiritual battle to pay off every one of your sins. All you, all you need to do is just say, Lord, if you'll take me, I'll take you. Just as I am, thou will receive, will welcome God and believe, because thy love is thy kind of strange we sing I come but the truth is you're king for us all we have to do is say I want to be saved I I'm directing my attention towards you and and that is if it ever was hard for you to get saved it was actually the easiest thing you could do wasn't it you just had to overcome some pride some fear some confusion that was the easy part father we uh, thank you that you make it so easy so simple for everybody to get saved but we may we never confuse getting into the Christian life with the Christian life. We're not working our way to heaven now that we're saved. We're in a war that, that, that demands of us to press on, to get through. We've got a life to live, and we're not walking on water. We have to endure hardness as good soldiers. We've got to put up with some stuff. We've got to get through this, and we need to do it right. We need to be good soldiers. There's some bad soldiers out there. There are some evil armies out there. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I want to fight with different weapons, carnal ones, but the right ones, the ones that actually pull down strongholds. So would you please bless your dear people today and those who heard this, and if somebody would get saved, God, let, let them to let me know. They got questions or whatever. God, I, I just want to help them. <clears throat> Lord, for the rest of us, may we take it seriously. We're going to go out of here and, we're going into a battle zone outside of these four walls. It's not so nice. And we're going to have to learn to be strong in grace. We're going to have to learn to, to build our life on that relationship with Jesus Christ, our rock.
So bless these thoughts, these truths this morning. Bless your people. May we have a, a uh, just an excitement about um, living and winning instead of being defeated. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.